it has been a hard week, family. Oh, Lord Jesus, my name is Morgan Dixon of Vanessa. I hear you giggling. I hope you got a lot of giggle for us today. <laughs> Listen, sister, it's one of those days. Welcome to Black History Boot Camp. This is day no, Morgan, of 21 I... days of prayer. I'm just saying that, like, I don't know why, but one moment I'd be in the doldrum and it'd just be like, shit is fucking falling apart. Excuse my language, Black History Bootcamp Prayer Edition. But I'd be there. And I have lately just had an ability, Morgan, like to in the moment summon God and just like sometimes I count gratitude. Sometimes I do all sorts of things. And it puts me in a space where I have felt like fortified to handle a lot of the stuff that has been happening. I still feel really sad, really tired, really all these things. But those feelings are just getting out punched by this other feeling of just like, I don't know, it just becoming. So actually, it's funny. It came because as soon as Bob Marley came on, I was like, remember when we went to Jamaica to try to scout your wedding? And then I was like, some shady stuff went down. And then... I'm now thinking about going to Jamaica. Tell the people what the shady went down. This is what happened. <laughs> this is what happened. This should have been my first clue up to the got married. I went to Jamaica. It's still in love, y'all. That's why I'm trying to go there for the off season, Morgan. I'm like, I got six whole weeks. I'm newly divorced. Twenty years. Where I'm going? I'm just keeping an eye out. <laughs> <laughs> all you need to know is Vanessa is a hater. She could talk all this spirit. She could talk all this I stuff. I was protecting you. I, no, Morgan is the black that? friend in the horror movie who runs off while all the other girls are like, where does she go? And then the killer is running after her. And you like, you ain't leave no phone number. You ain't leave no trace. Your mama taught you better than that. And now you got to give her a lecture instead of being happy about the situation. That's who you are. You be that black girl in the movie. On your little independent from Sacramento, just got your little, what's that little car you used to have? Pinto, red Pinto. I'm just driving around because I could do what I want. Black girl. It was I'm not no born. Pinto. It was a four. What was it? That is a step up. Of course. Up. I'm just saying, it is who you are. It has made you who you are. But when we in a foreign country and I got to stick and move and get your back, I'm going to need you to stay closer. I'm fucking or not. I'm sorry, y'all. This is the truth. Day 18. <laughs> Day 18, Bob Marley, Rasta energy up in here, Rasta energy. So listen, today I was praying right before this call, God, just forgive me. Like I haven't done the sacred hour as Ebony calls it right before boot camp. I didn't do, I was literally screaming 30 minutes before boot camp because life is hard, people, because Right before you about to have a dawn, it'd be dark. I'm telling you right now, the dawn is coming, people. You know, I was just reading this article about COVID, Vanessa, and they are learning so much about the long-term effects of COVID on people. And there's this black man, Mm -hmm. I was reading on NPR, there's this black man who was saying that sometimes he's afraid to close his eyes because of COVID. Mm. It makes him have like psychotic episodes. And, And he was saying, but he thinks he's about to turn a corner. In this article, he just Mm -hmm. said he thinks he's about to turn a corner. And there was something about like that level of hope when you can't even close your eyes and rest because you're in absolute 
paranoia for your safety, your life, your next breath, but you still believe that you're about to turn a corner, that's what I pray and wish for every single person on this call. No matter how hard it feels, Morgan, no matter how hard it feels, Vanessa, no matter how hard it feels, Ebony, no matter how hard it feels, for the Girl Trek team, we have been working for 10 years, leaving it all on the field for Black women's radical healing. We are at 900,000. We set a really ambitious goal that nobody believed in, that we could get a million of you listening right now to walk, to talk, to pray, to strategize, to get down, to put Vaseline on your face if you have to. I'm saying that yeah. we would get down together, that we would be radical about our own healing together. And here we are at the door of a million. And when I tell y'all, the enemy has tried to come for every single one of us. Y'all, when you set out to pray with Black women across the world, this is what you hold. And I am asking for your prayer and your energy today. Like I was up so early this morning just thinking, how am I going to even bring anything to anyone? I can't even get myself out of bed. Like, And this is not woe is me because I feel solid. I don't feel like you, Vanessa, where I can in a moment snap into stuff. I feel like I am battling every day. And I'm not suggesting you're not battling. I'm suggesting you're winning. I'm suggesting I'm not yet there. And mm -hmm. I feel like I'm drowning so much. And I was like, just like with Dr. King, I actually need to listen today, y'all, because I don't know what's going on in Philadelphia, Vanessa. Somebody got shot. Did somebody get shot? Yes, a Did young man. And I want to say his name is Malcolm, but I don't want him to speak. But he... Walter Wallace, I saw. Walter, Walter Wallace. yes, yeah, yeah. Mm -hmm. I just saw it before this call. Yeah. Did he yeah. die? Yeah, he had a knife. Of course, the police pretended like they couldn't disarm him. His mother was literally begging for them to just not shoot. I think he had maybe some mental health issues. I'm not sure. But either way, he was a black man. He deserved to be alive today, and he's not because of the police. And so the city has been responding. It's actually the city has been responding with, you know, of course, what the television is defining as riots. And I was telling someone today this morning, I was talking to my friend, though, and I was like, she's half white, half something. She's not black. But she was just like, shoot. She's like, every time somebody gets shot, she's like, the city just go up. She's like, and I said, and then she started to finish her sentence. I said, and eventually they're going to start shooting black people. Cause going to be like, every time we shoot a black person, the city go up. I said, that's the point. That's the point. Yeah. Stop shooting us. And next time you're going to think twice. I don't understand the confusion. Yeah. Sorry, that was a total so that's, aside. So that's but, the point. No, that's yeah. my point, Vanessa, is that that level of how you just released and you were just enraged in one second is right below everybody's skin listening. And what I want you all to go on a journey with me today, and that journey is imagining that we are not in response mode and that we are actually working this hard for our own stuff. Vanessa, you asked yesterday, what does it look like if we're not centering our lives on the response to white supremacy, if we're actually building something? And I was so tickled because today's episode is about that. In the 1930s, you know, we did Marcus Garvey already. Marcus Garvey was like, bet, I'm about to create parades. I'm going to give me a ship. We're about to go back to Africa. And that spirit of Pan-Africanism sparked something on a little island called Jamaica. 
a little island called Jamaica, and it was called Rastafarianism. And Rastafari is a culture. Some say it's a religion. Some people reject that. Some people say it's a people, a chosen people. It certainly is a spiritual code. It certainly is a lifestyle. It is a brilliant, brilliant way to start to look for liberation in a different way. I love it as a case study for us. I love it as an option for people who are looking for something. You know, Rastafari is really Bible-based and Christian-based, but it's African-centered. It's African-centered in this really beautiful way. So before we get into it, we promised you a concert. I want to cleanse the air with something so beautiful. Ebony, can you cue up just a minute? We we ain't even going to play all the songs today for y'all. We're just going to go through a journey together. Let's start with three little birds. Let's get our whole life together. Let's go with cereal on them. Let's change the mood, the whole atmosphere. Let's shift it with Brother Bob. Here we go. Don't worry about a thing put it on mute, uh, put it on okay. mute. <laughs> that's such a beautiful way to start because one of the things I was thinking about is as you were talking about brother Malcolm yesterday you said something so profound you were like Malcolm was talking to us and that's what that is what is also so profound about Bob Marley is that Bob Marley was talking to black people in Jamaica and eventually he was talking to people around the world, but he started off in his community. And so I don't know how much you all know about Bob Marley. Vanessa, you, I don't know how much Love you know it. about Bob Marley. I just Marley. found out the man was half white like five days ago. That's why I was like, <laughs> I am so clueless. I watched that amazing documentary on him on Netflix. And I loved every minute of it, including which when Rita Marley was like, first of all, I was the finest woman in the neighborhood. And she was like, and wasn't nobody checking for no little light-skinned, short guy in Jamaica. She was like, I was looking for the tall, dark, and handsome. The way she told her story, it was like, she was the powerful one in our relationship in many ways. And I loved hearing her perspective. So I did not know a lot. And I bet a lot of people don't know a lot either. Yeah. So Rita Marley is here in Ghana, got her citizenship. And so Bob Marley, as Vanessa said, it was the son of a white man who his family said he was uh, Syrian, Jewish, and they say they claim to be Syrian Jewish, which I was like, that's shady. If people tell you who they are, believe me. And his mom was an uh, African woman who was living in Jamaica. <laughs> 
And they had a baby, and that baby is Bob Marley. And what's so cool is I was thinking about the conversation we had about Stevie Wonder and his mom is that actually at age 12, they were in St. Anne's, shout out to St. Anne's, Jamaica. And when he was 12 years old, he was kind of an awkward bird because it was a bunch of African people on the island and he was biracial. And so it was hard. It was hard for him to find his way. It was hard for him to find his voice. But boy, when he found his voice, he inspired the world. And so when he was 12 years old, Vanessa, his mom moved him one parish to another and they moved to Trenchtown, Kingston. And it was hard. <laughs> it was hard in Churchtown. It was really, really, really hard in Kingston for him. And he had this friend who was Bunny Whaler. And his mom got with Bunny Whaler's dad and they had a baby, right? But Bob Marley right. and Bunny Whaler was like friends and they started making music together at 12. But when their parents got together, then they lived together and they had a little sister together. Then, voila, Bob and the Whalers. <laughs> Bob and the Whalers. And that became the band. And I was like, Thank God for his mama, who was like, first of all, this man is fun. I'm about to deal with him. Second of all, we're going to go support this musical career. We're going to bring these people together. I'm going to move my son out the country into the big city, even though it's hard. Just taking risks. And I can't even imagine having a 12-year-old little boy and taking those right. sort of risks in my life. I can't imagine. So shout out to all the mothers out there who are doing the best they know how and don't even know how their good work, their good effort is going to pan out to save the world. So keep on mothering, y'all. So he started uh, Bob Marley and the Whalers. They weren't Bob Marley and the Whalers then. They were just a group of friends who were really experimenting with music. They were getting R&B from the United States back then. You know, this was like the 50s, 60s. They were getting R&B, the best R&B ever on the radio. And they were mixing that with traditional ska, with different traditional music forms. And they created something and are some of the pioneers of a musical form we know now as reggae. And so reggae blew up the world. We know that. It's amazing. But one of the things I love most about reggae is that it was philosophy-based. It was almost like chant. It was so yeah. beautiful thinking about like how we can convey our religious fervor. And I'll talk about Rastafari in a second. But our religious fervor through music and song to amplify it to the world. But before I do, I promise a listening party. Let's listen to One Love. Here we go. Are you ready?
not just in the let's, long. Let's, <laughs> no, sing along. Just go on mute. Put it on mute. Let's get together. I was on mute singing, Vanessa. I was on mute singing, mm. girl. You know what's so crazy about that song, Vanessa, is that that song what? became one of his most popular songs. And I always didn't like that song because it was mm-hmm. so commercial. And remember, one love comes to Jamaica and feel all right. Remember that yeah. commercial that used to come on? Yes, and yes, I was yes. like, no, Bob Marley says, let's get together and feel all right. Not let's come to Jamaica. I was just saying, like, it became this kind of consumer anthem. But shout out to Jamaica and shout out to Tourism Dollars and shout out to Go Support a Black Country who is on the tourism list like Ghana. Come on out and support because people are hurting right now in the economy. But I'm just saying I never really loved that song. But the more I get into it, one love, let's get together and feel all right. It's like such an anthem and such a get well, on the no, beach with Morgan, One of the things I totally agree that actually I always thought, why is this commercial song even good? And then I was like, I just didn't really get it until I got it and got deeper into his music. But one of the things to put even the song into perspective for people who don't know this part of the story is he was born on the land that his white grandfather owned in Jamaica. And I think the Marley, white Marley family was like the largest landowner or something like one of the largest landowners in Jamaica. And because he was biracial, he said he felt like very outcast in Jamaica because Jamaica was like really rejecting things that were of colonialism. And they were like rising up in his pride and him being light skin and his hair texture. And so he felt like very shunned as growing up as a young boy. And he found his place and identity in Rastafarianism. And so even to think of the song from that perspective as him as a black man saying, please see me, please like show this one love is really powerful. And then maybe the most powerful framing of it was in that documentary, Rita Marley was like, the irony of all of this is that the white Marley family for decades, you know, had spent all this money working people to death and trying to take over and build their name. And she was like, and ironically, it became Bob Marley, the outcast son who they didn't want to honor, who has proliferated the Marley name heretofore. She was like, he reclaimed the legacy of the Marley name from them and he created a new legacy for it. So I love that even you say thinking here about the song in that context. Yes, I did. Here too for <laughs> That was good, girl. That was good. You slid it in there too. Yes, you're right. You're right. So you know, there's something so powerful about that. And one of the things that reminded me actually of Dr. King was that Bob Marley was deeply understood for his positivity. And part of that is because the songs that resonated with the world abroad, a.k.a. white liberals, um, a.k.a. the woman at the airport who got her hair braided in plaits with some beads, mm-hmm. her, mm-hmm. were the songs about love and about coming together in unity and all these sorts of universal values, which are really beautiful and powerful. But as a Black man in the middle of the civil rights movement in Jamaica, home of the Maroons, of revolution, of people who were so close to African identity, you got to believe he started to have some songs that were more about revolution. And so let's start to get into that catalog. (laughs) Let's get into that catalog. So, Ebony, let's start with Buffalo Soldier. Buffalo Soldier, dread like a rockstar. In the heart of America. Come on, come on. Come on, Buffalo. That's all I know. Do it in 30 seconds. Hey! Buffalo Soldier, 
anything about Rastas, it's okay because I don't either. What I know I learned from my series of Rasta voices. <laughs> oh, you don't remember John Marcus. You weren't there. It was Kanika and Amber. Shout out to Kanika and Amber, my girls. So, fresh out of college, Kanika and Amber and I went to Jamaica. I dated this guy named John Marcus, and he was so fine, and he was on the beach, and he had some dreadlocks just like Bob Marley. But Morgan, men who have thin, two names as the first name. Men who have two names as the Marcus. first name. Yes. Already yes. just signs, ladies. Just move away. Step away from the red flag. So the, the first thing to teach is that Jah is God, right? And Jah is not a different God. Jah is the name of Jehovah in a pidgin language in Jamaica, so which is an African-fused language, and then a language that Rastas continue to evolve year over year when they say they overstand instead of understand, or they say Irish instead of all right, right? Mm -hmm. So, like, it is a language, a patois, that is really, really centered on this notion of word sound power, which is such a beautiful and a super African notion that how you say a word is what it conveys. It's not just the language, but it's the tone, it's the pace, and it's the way that it feels coming out of your mouth, right? So, Irie, like, right? All these sorts of things are just a really, really beautiful manifestation of African language and ideology, I think. And so, Ja, when you hear somebody say Ja, it's so this is basic roster, right? So don't ask me nothing else. But Ja is Jehovah. It's, it's for Jehovah, right? And so I know from John Marcus, and then I know from Andrew, who you were talking about, I ran away with on my yeah. scouting trip for my wedding. I can't. Look. But listen, I love Jamaica. So the second thing you should know. Morgan, I was like, we don't need the girl to a community to hold us down when we lose our actual <laughs> public face at jobs. We're putting all our business out in the streets, y'all. We're going to need to pass the collective plate because we are taking it for the team. And when those other people who, when we run the nonprofit part of Girl Trek, they're going to be at the conferences when we start having conferences again. And they're going to be like, oh, there's Morgan Vanessa. And it's going to be awkward and very weird. And I just don't know if I can they're handle it. They're going to be like, Y'all know, know too much, but you did hold me down there. I was just thinking, you did hold me down. It was Kanika who was like, she's engaged. She's engaged. I was like, don't be no hater. All I was saying I is, what's the Morris code? What's the address in case I need to roll through? What's the, you know, in the bushes. I'm that type of girlfriend. Like, shoot. Oh, I have one story, though. I didn't even tell you this. She was okay. her life. But in my exploration okay. for where I'm going to spend my off season, y'all, this is actually powerful for you to know. And I'm proud of us, Morgan, for doing this. We are building not just a movement, but a real organization and a model for how we can employ Black women and be in the workforce in a whole different way. And it's a learning process. But the bigger point is we have put in <laughs> some really amazing and revolutionary systems that have been studied and written about. And one of them is that as an organization that is founded on the idea of self-care and Black women 
pouring into themselves to pour into each other and actually living, not just surviving, we have built in an off season. And so we close our offices December 1st to January 15th. It started and it continues to be for me and Morgan, mostly an opportunity to regenerate ideas, creativity, energy, to source our own joy, to be in community with our own loved ones, to learn, to study, to meditate, to reflect and then to come back with a fire. And so we've offered that opportunity to everyone on the team and we come back smarter, leaner, or chubbier, depending on how we've been spending the off season. We've explored places, we worked on some things and we come with fresh new ideas. So all that to say, Morgan, Y'all, I'm ready. If y'all didn't see me on Instagram, I'd have been everywhere. Bolivia, Salfast, this, that. But I ain't been single, Vanessa, out in the city. So guess where I called? <laughs> Tikai Resort. Tikai Resort in St. Lucia. I no. called the place. Where, yes. Because I was like, maybe I need to move there for the off season. And then maybe they got a hut for oh, me. Oh, that would be nice. Yeah. So sorry to distract, but I'm just saying, like, good memories. That would be nice. I would come visit you at the TK. The TK where I got married, that's what she's not telling oh, me. Yeah. <laughs> I got married, and it's a beautiful place. There's a private beach. It's in the jungle. I would definitely. Yours was the most luxurious black wedding I'd ever, or any wedding. I think it was even my only wedding I had been to. And it was like <laughs> it had a pig roast and tiki fire on the beach. It had, like, your beautiful black family from all in Kansas. It had, it was beautiful. It had a girl singing that beautiful song. It was very loving. And yeah. you singing Purple Rain? And me singing Purple Rain. Hey. <laughs> You're excellent. You're excellent. So listen, and you read Nikki Giovanni, I think, or I did. Yes, I've been reading that over and over lately. Yes. I got my own love now. I was like, shoot, I got to put this on, put this on ice because I'm auditioning for this. Might be in my (laughs) next rotation. Morgan, y'all, I got divorced, but I need everybody to know I might be the next Elizabeth Taylor or Jennifer Lopez, and I want to uplift those women (laughs) and every woman who's in the fight because I don't play to lose. So it's like, if I'm in the dating game, my expectation is this might be the love of my life, the new man. And I don't need no judgment if tomorrow I tell y'all I done ran off and got eloped or I done went down to Jamaica or St. Lucia's or whatever. Because Morgan, I'm right, 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 right. Right. you. Because if no, that don't work out, I'll be on number three, number four. I don't know, but I'm going to keep trying, just like Carol Morgan, <laughs> your mama. Look. Josephine Baker got married five times. And when I showed you that video, she was still flirting at 67 with that man up on that thing. She was all in his face. I'm just saying Josephine Baker needs to also be in the Alyssa role model. Yes, she does. And maybe Bob Marley. <laughs> so maybe yes. Bob Marley. I mean... Bob Marley had a gang of kids. Did you know that Bob Marley only lived to be 36 years old? I mean, it's unbelievable the kind of impact that people like Bob Marley passed away at 36 or Dr. King who passed away at 39 or Malcolm X. How old was Malcolm X when he passed away? That's a good question. 30s or early 40s? Yeah, we'll we'll have to look into it. But these very short, beautiful, sparky lives and, you know, so, but he had a lot of kids in that lifetime because Rastafarians are all about love and nature. <laughs> so I'm just like, that it is a really beautiful religion. In all seriousness, let me give the religion a due for the people who came on to really learn about Rastafarians. So, first of all, you should know that they're in Revelation, there are lots and lots and lots of prophecies for the world, and particularly for what Rastas believe are Black people. And the main prophecy or the anchoring prophecy is that 
you know, kind of God's people will have to escape or have an exodus out of Babylon. And Babylon is known as essentially everything that is white supremacy, like colonization, America, all this, and that we will have to suffer through things like slavery, things like this brother being shot yesterday, Walter Wallace, that we would have to suffer like just what feels like it's going to break us in order to make us stronger, because then we're going to have an exodus. And that exodus is going to be into Zion. And Zion, they believe actually that every single black person should make a pilgrimage to Africa. It's why there are so many Rastas here in Ghana. And it's why Rita Marley bought a house here in a Ghana. And so the idea is that we would return to, they say that Zion is Africa, right? And that we would return to Africa. So that's the mm. concept. And then also... Oh, look at that. Uh, that's, no, say that part again. Look, I'm just saying you return to Zion. <laughs> yeah, come on. I do return to Zion out of Babylon. Yeah. And one of the things that they believed also is that there would be a kind of Messiah that would come out of Africa and out of Egypt, because there's a scripture that underpins this. And they believed that a man named Holly Selassie in the 1930s came as almost a Messiah here, or not even almost as yeah, a Messiah From character. Ethiopia, I and think, so, right? Sorry, sorry, sorry. From Ethiopia. Thank yeah. you. Thank mm-hmm. you, Lord Jesus. Thank you. From mm-hmm. Ethiopia. And so Rastafari actually is, Ross means French or like Prince of Peace kind of thing. Ross and then Tafari was his first name before he became Holly Selassie. So Rastafari, so Holly Selassie was really a second coming of Revelation. And he did so much powerful work, actually, even including this. Remember we were talking about when Marcus Garvey went to that convention? When I was yeah. telling you, I think that's the convention where Holly Selassie made that really powerful statement about uh, Marcus um, Garvey is like you know, went to the convention when I coordinated and convened the convention and all the people came to me. That <laughs> that's he convened that. He convened in Harlem. Right. He wasn't no special guest. He wasn't no special guest in his own boule. <laughs> I don't even know what the boule is. Okay. So silly. So silly. But Holly Selassie made a really famous speech. And in that speech, he talked about a vision for pan-Africanism and Black people around the world unifying and what justice actually looks like. And Bob Marley took that speech and he made this song here. So let's play, Ebony. Sorry, just kidding. Yo, DJ, drop that beat. Oh, Morgan, this this came to me. No, wait, wait, wait. Do you think... Boot camp can ask DJ Beverly Bond if she could help with us DJ Million Women Celebration. <laughs> Just say it. Does somebody know her? I think it's a great idea. Could, yeah, can somebody tag her? We love her. We're fangirls. We're getting ready to celebrate a million. We're trying to figure it out. And man, she could DJ the best black girl healing party in America. So hook her up with us, please. Yes, yes, Vanessa. And it's War No More Trouble. And I don't want to play that yet because I want to play that at the end as we all go out. I do want to play a redemption song, but before we go there, oh, yeah. I just want to give my final kind of anecdote about Bob Marley and why he personally inspires me so much. All kidding aside, and we love Rastas. We love, we love you, Rastas. And Vanessa going to be saying, Lucia, there's a lot of Rastas. So I'm saying we love Rastas and Rasta girls. So shout out to the women as well. And we love, love, love this African-centered brand of Christianity that really does center on a couple of key tenets. One of them, Vanessa, is what you eat right? One of them is really, really, really being mindful of what you put into your temple. And so most Rastafarians are either vegan, 
um, or vegetarian. And the ones who do eat meat don't eat pork, obviously, but they also don't eat shrimp or any of the kind of scavengers of the sea. And so they're really, 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 really disciplined about what they eat. And it inspired me today, Vanessa. I ate a whole vegetarian meal. I was like, you can't be talking about Bob Marley eating no fried chicken. It's just not, you cannot do it. It's like the spirit is not going to be on you right and I just wanted to encourage everybody First of out all, there. you just activated my hunger genes. And I have to give a shout out to this black restaurant in D.C. called Kane, y'all. C-A-N-E on H Street Northwest. It's a Trinidadian restaurant. And Morgan, I got me a whole vegetable bowl in there with some good jasmine rice. It got some like spices. It got from like West India curry. Like it's delicious. And I cannot wait to eat it after that this walk. so good. <laughs> it that is going to so be delicious. <laughs> I had fufu and the soup was all vegetarian. It had like these really good mushrooms in it and okra and it was spicy and it was like burning my lips, but in a good way. And I was dipping it up with the fufu. It was so good. So I had that. And I, I just had, had a revelation that cake. meat has a yoke on me and that any spiritual pathway that it involves does. giving away meat, basically I'm like, that ain't going to work for me. And I probably need to explore that deeper <laughs> y'all. So check in on me. I bought the Queen of Fool book, the first page. I was like, oh, I'll have to get back to this. It's like, it ain't even an exploration. You like, no, no, no chicken, no, no, no this. No. It's a yoke dummy. So I got to work on that. Nothing should be a master to us on earth like that. Not one thing should be a master to us. Nothing should be a master I, to us. And God created so many beautiful herbs and like minerals yes. and stuff for us to have. And so many of us are eating the same thing, like starches and sugars, and we're addicted to that. And so I encourage you to eat everything colorful um, as a part of the Black agenda and leave everything white behind. But I'm talking about that sugar cane that we killed ourselves for. I'm talking about that flour. Leave it behind, y'all. Leave it behind and crowd in your plate leafy greens make you a pot of greens every week you tripping if you're not somebody said that on instagram a while ago you're tripping if you're not making a pot of greens and then just fill your plate with colorful things every single day including herbs and trace minerals out there and so figure out how to do that get with a community who's doing that well shout out to the girl trek gardeners who are planting gardens all across the country we see y'all i'll be seeing y'all harvest doing great work it's revolutionary if I had Emery Douglas, the artist's skills in art and drawing and poster making, I would just take the most brilliant slogan that you just created, which is eat everything green as part of the black agenda. And I would design a like 1960s style poster and like create a whole campaign. And I think that would be the movement that would get black people like me who keep holding on to the chicken drum, like understanding even the necessity of it. That could be a really good campaign. Oh, there's graphic designers out there. Somebody get on that because I do believe Somebody, that's part not of the me. Yeah. <laughs> I can't be picking up all my ideas. We were... I was just talking about it. Yes. <laughs> no, but it was what we talked about yesterday. Where do we begin? And we begin inside. And even Vanessa, yeah. remember I had that really bad, it was almost like chronic arthritis or something. And I think it was a result from yeah. COVID or something. I'm not sure. I had like chronic inflammation all over my body. And this guy came and gave me these like, it was like a herbal tea, but it was in like a mayonnaise jar. But it was like all of this, like rosemary, thyme. I recognized the herbs. And it was like hibiscus. It was like meat. I don't even know if I'm saying that right. But then I just boiled it and drank it every day. And when I tell you, all the inflammation went down. And that's all disease is, is inflammation. So yes. I just want you to know that we have an abundance of resources. So anyway, 
The other thing about Rastafarianism that I love is the notion of being natural. So even a continuation of Malcolm X, it's not elite because Malcolm X's father, as we talked about, was a Garveyite. And Marcus Garvey was from yeah. Jamaica, so influential in the Rastafarian movement. But loving our features, loving our skin color, loving our hair, this notion of not cutting your hair and that your hair, almost like Samson, is your strength and that your locks really carry wisdom and power with you is really, really pivotal in the Rastafarian religions. I um, just listened to this woman tell the story. Of, this is, I'm learning so much during this boot camp. That's a, and it's funny because not just through the boot camp, but like aligning and maybe just my energy around needing to know all sorts of things. I just was listening to this woman describe the story of Samson. And I had heard it for the first time that like Delilah came and then she cut his hair and it grew back and he was able to get his power back because the power was actually inside all along. It wasn't in his hair. I didn't yeah. know the whole story. Yeah, I'm so, one of those so kids Bible it's a books. powerful religion. I know, me too. With some important kids. Yes, I'm embarrassed. I told you I didn't know Dr. Jones and the whale. I was like, so what's he in the whale? And then who is that? Who is Chadrack? <laughs> but yeah. So that's basically what I know about Rastafarianism. But one of the things, let's go quickly back to Bob Marley so we can end on a walking meditation together. One of the mm-hmm. things is that one of the moments in Bob Marley's life that I think was most pivotal. So we know he sold, I don't know, 75, I think 75 million records around the world. He's on every single top 10 list of the most influential musicians of all time. He created and amplified a new genre of music and amplified an African-based lifestyle of spirituality that influenced millions of people around the world. He has the most murals made of him of the whole world and anybody else, maybe second to Barack Obama. Like, he's just like a man. And he has a whole dynasty of children who, if you're listening to your gong, please call me because so I'm saying I mean he just was a legend kind of my type he was a legend he, starts, <laughs> he is kind of your type you didn't know he's fine too he looks like yeah. Super Brian yeah. the white boy who had the beard he kind of he got books in his house he's nice yeah Yes, 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 yes. So we say all this to say he was a legend. And still, he was really, really struggling, Vanessa, with like politics yeah. and all sorts of things. So one of the moments in his life that is most salient of this is, I don't know if you know Michael Manning, who was the prime minister there. Michael Manning was doing this concert, it was a political concert. And Kingston at this time was riddled in like drug activity, gang violence, all sorts of things that are the relics of all sorts of systems of oppression. They just really are, and violence. And so there was a real fight between kind of the morality of Rastas, the love and peace of Rastas, and the gangsters out of Rastas as well. And so there's a lot of infighting, not unlike what happened with Malcolm X, where his own people took him out. Well, at one point, there was a real division in Bob Marley's camps, and it was political. And so the prime minister, he was hosting this big political concert called Smile Jamaica. And Bob Marley was supposed to come out. I mean, this was at the height of Bob Marley's career. And so for him to even do something political was a big risk as a celebrity at that time. But he was like, no, I really believe in this campaign. I really believe in this political agenda for my people in Kingston. Something has to be done. The violence is crazy. So he was going to do this concert. Well, the political rivals 
didn't want him to do the concert because it was going to be a clear victory then for the prime minister. They were like, if Bob Marley does his concert, it's going to be a clear victory. So Vanessa, they shot his house. You probably saw this in the documentary. They shot up his house, these rivals. Some people think it's people he knew, like some people from his crew who had ventured off with the other politicians had been paid off. And so they shot up his house and Rita Marley got shot. Oh, you were talking about that big old book. The one I got, it's like 300 pages, The Seven Killings killing. of... Oh, yes. I've, yeah, been, yeah. I've been trying to read that book for three years. Yes, it is thick. You should read it. It's so good. It's so good. Yeah. But Rita Marley got shot. She said her dreadlocks protected her, which is really beautiful and just even poetic. And Bob Marley got shot in the chest, I think the arm or the leg or something like one of his extremities. And Vanessa, the concert was in two days. Well, Bob Marley said, no, I'm going to the concert. And he was like, I don't care if they shot me. I'm going to the concert. And he said, the wicked never take a day off, so I can't take a day off. And there was something so powerful about that. As we are working ourselves to the bone, Vanessa, that this man was like, the wicked don't take any days off. This is my calling. I am going. And he went to that concert, and 80,000 people came. And he came out on that stage. And when I tell you, that concert was one of the most spirit-filled musical performances I have ever seen, where this man, his tiny body is inhabited with God's spirit, where he is talking about black liberation, where he is talking about freedom, where he is talking about African people around the world, right? So this is even before apartheid was over. So he was like, he had like a fire in his belly and it was coming out in this like bright way. I cannot explain it. And it was like that moment that deeply inspires me and I was like we have to do Bob Marley as a spiritual warrior not only did he teach us a whole new religion but in that moment he became a serial but he became fearless and untouchable and they won the election and they turned around Jamaica and he toured all over Africa trying to unite Africa under one kind of diasporic pan-African agenda I mean he's a powerful man we lost Bob Marley too early. We lost him to melanoma. And so this is the flip side of natural medicine is that y'all Eastern and Western medicine can live in the same body. <laughs> so like also get the treatment that you need, get the prevention that you need. And Morgan, this feels so like an appropriate yeah. time to interject with a reminder. October is breast cancer awareness month. So Amazing. this is a reminder yeah. um, that it is actually October on our calendar and towards the end. And that in the season where we're being cautious about going to the doctor's office because of the pandemic that we still have to, with wise wisdom, pay attention to our bodies, at least start with some self-breast exams and then book your appointment and trust God going to cover you, put your mask on and get up in there. Do not skip your critical appointments. Thank you for that, Vanessa. And in the spirit of one amazing Bob Marley and the army of Rastafarians who support him around the world, I would like to play my favorite song, which uses the words of Holly Selassie. The song is War, and it goes into a song called No More Trouble. Be well, everybody. We will see you tomorrow. Thank you for walking with us. And listen to the song and let it rain over you like the rains of Zion. All right, we'll talk to you all soon. bit of redemption song ebony come on a little bit of redemption song you need to be redeemed this gonna be the prayer here we go <laughs>
Keep it playing, Evan. This is great. But my hand was made strong by the end of the How almighty. How do you DJ? I'm on your iPhone, but this is great. in this generation triumphantly. Won't you help to sing these songs of freedom? Cause all I ever have. Everybody sing, everybody sing. Redemption songs. Thank God, cause I wanna sing. Woo! Redemption songs. Emancipate yourselves from mental slavery. None but ourselves can free our minds. Have no fear for atomic energy Cause none of them can stop the time How long shall they kill our prophets While we stand aside and look Some say it's just a part of it We've got to fulfill the book Won't you help to sing these songs of freedom is all I ever have. Redemption songs, redemption songs, redemption songs. I love you all. Be well, everybody. We redeemed. Vanessa, it's been so nice to talk to you. Ebony, thank you for everything. That's all, everyone. Bye, y'all. Thank you.
Some 